Welcome to Civil Discourse. I'm Jay Wojciechowski. And I'm Marilyn Brown. And today we are discussing uh, two things. Uh, first, we're going to discuss uh, my recent cutback um, from Facebook. And second, we are going to discuss mindful apologies. Um, and I want to start off with a quote um, by Abraham Hicks. It is, it is not your role to make others happy. It is your role to keep yourself in balance. When you pay attention to how you feel and practice self-empowering thoughts that align with who you really are, you are off, you will offer an example of thriving that will be a tremendous value to those who have the benefit of observing you. It's I love so that. That one part <laughs> where you said the thoughts that align with who you really are, I like literally felt like my heart swell. I was like, mm, that sounds so good. Love and it. It's, it, it, this is a quote I've always loved, but uh, I've been finding myself. Uh, so the, the Facebook exp- experiment is I took Facebook off my phone. Um, so I haven't left Facebook. Um, I can still check it on my computer. Um, but I was just finding that uh, I had developed a habit of checking it uh, a little too much of just it not being a conscious choice, but just something that I was doing out of habit. And I feel like it was becoming harder and harder to remain uh, mindful. And I I don't know if this is exclusively a Facebook problem or if it was just a problem in my feed and and my network and knowing a lot of activists and stuff. It was just getting very negative and daunting. There was no balance. Uh, Like, I don't expect social media to be just constant positivity but i think to use it mindfully there has to be there has to be a a balance between uh, how you're expressing yourself and the the energy you're putting into it and i'm i feel like facebook specifically is getting more and more negative even in the issues i care about when people talk about them it's almost always through an anger negative lens and very rarely if really ever a a mindful trying to find a positive sort of lens if that makes sense yeah that makes that makes a lot (laughs) of sense and and as you're saying that i'm thinking so i i have done the same thing in the past. I've taken Facebook off my phone and it's now on my phone, but it's, it's less accessible. And so, cause I noticed a lot of the same things that you're talking about. And, you know, I kind of took those first steps and we had even talked about this, I think actually at the beginning of this year in our January kind of, um, setting intentions for the year. I remember you mentioning how to, change who you follow or change what shows up first on your feed and talking about that and putting certain things first. And so I did that and, and, and did find that helpful. But like you're saying, even in those things that are oftentimes in the past, I found nourishing, more positive, more kind of just not draining. I was feeling like something was being taken. Like I was feeling just drained and I was feeling like a pull from my energy spending time on it, but also feeling this, like, like just this automatic reaction of checking it. Like if it's there and I see it, I'll, I would pick up my phone to send an email, but that F that, (laughs) that big blue F just next thing I know I'm on Facebook and I don't even really realize it because it's just kind of that automatic reaction. Oh, there's Facebook. Oh, there's a notification. Even though I turned the notifications off years ago, um, of just, checking it and just kind of this automatic response. And so I'm interested to see for you since you made that decision and took Facebook off your phone, how long has it been? It's been about a week. About a week. So what, what's been your experience since you've done that? It's been wonderful. Um, mm-hmm. I guess my, my fear going into it was that uh, other social media platforms would become, would kind of take its place, mm-hmm. which hasn't happened. Uh, and I guess it was my fear, but I also, when I was looking at the other uh, Twitter and Instagram specifically, I think Instagram in general is a more positive space just because it seems like the, the mass purpose of Instagram 
is to be positive and to kind of show the activities and the things you're enjoying in life. There's not much ranting or kind of, I guess, therapeutic use uh, in the... I mean, it's... Right. It, it's therapeutic, but just not in the way of of having to kind of release whatever you're holding on to, if that makes sense, where I feel like Facebook is. And the thing with Twitter, I think Twitter is a vastly negative platform, but I think it's more customizable to make it positive. So I pretty much exclusively look at Twitter through TweetDeck, which okay. yeah. just shows my activity and then my lists. So I don't even see my feed. Um, and the vet, my lists are pretty much all mindfulness people in different categories. So mm-hmm. I make sure that the people I do see are mostly mindful. Uh, so there's not as much as a problem there, but I, I, I haven't been checking either of those, I think more than I had before. And what I have found is I have free time, which I never thought I had before. I always thought I was so busy. And now I realize, no, there was a lot more time that I do have to do either work or meditate or just self-reflect or whatever it is that people like, right. That Facebook was yeah, right. That Facebook was taking. And I wasn't even aware that I was putting that much time into it. And then the other thing is, yeah, I just feel like I I feel more mindful and more positive. Yeah. And I'm not yeah. sure. I think that might be a combination of one potentially getting off Facebook, but also that the purpose and the intention of getting off Facebook was to become more mindful. So I think I'm still in, in that I'm still aware of it. So that a lot of that could just be me being conscious of wanting to be more mindful. Uh, but I'm also seeing it's, it's very interesting. What was happening was, and, and we can transition because I know you want to talk um, specifically about some of the, the issues with um, sexual assault and abuse that have been happening. But well, I've been this even more. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've been so yeah, yeah. hesitant to talk about that topic and to really talk about anything political or that that's really going on because it's just so draining from getting the resources from Facebook because I feel like the conversations on all sides are so unmindful and so driven just by kind of an, a, a desire to judge and, and anger, which I under, I understand, but I think when that's all you see, it, it's hard to then step back and find kind of the, the mindful way in, which is, the struggle I was having. And as soon as I cut Facebook off and was able to self-reflect for myself, as opposed to seeing, I guess, all the communication about it, I was able to see those issues from a much more mindful place. Yeah. I think that's, that's a really good kind of way to describe how that happens when we, I think we, when we're on Facebook, when we're getting constant information, constant opinions about things we're we, we're consuming that. And like, I think that we, we've become very aware of what we're consuming um, food wise, what we're putting into our bodies. But I think that recognizing that even what we're scrolling and reading and, and participating in online, we consume. And when we do that, like it brings us, it, it, we have to kind of find a way to like diffuse that and, and manage that and kind of transmute that energy into something. And so we don't really have anything left to actually have a mindful thought about it because we're so busy just kind of like filtering out and just trying to kind of tease out what energy we've taken in from it. And Mm -hmm. so, but I think that recognition that, because I think a lot of times people were very addicted to being informed. And I think we have this idea. And I think especially people who consider themselves, you know, well-informed and, and, and smart people and, and want to, you know, kind of, be be aware of what's going on. I think it's hard because there's that fine line of like overconsumption where then you're not able to even allow yourself to have a mindful thought about it and to even reflect in a way that's effective. And so I think that's what you kind of experienced is that ability when you took Facebook out of the mix and that automatic, let me put more in, let me put more information in and consume more before I've even digested what 
you know, what I consumed yesterday. I think that's what, that's what we experience. And it's like, you don't, you don't know that it's happening until it's gone, you know? And I think that was that experience for me when I took Facebook off my phone, I I loved it. And like, I didn't put it back because I missed it. (laughs) And like, I didn't put it back because I was like, oh, I really want to know what everybody in my life's opinions are on every single news story. I think part of my issue and my struggle with Facebook is that it's a lot more personal because it's, it's the people in your life. It's your family, it's your friends. And and we're at a time where I honestly, for me to be mindful, I don't need to know everybody's opinion about everything that happens because that creates again, more noise. And, and, and so I think I tend to enjoy Twitter more, even though it's a very yucky space a lot of times because it's, it's just, it's detached in that way. Um, but yeah, so I think for me, like I didn't miss it. I just, I ended up putting it back on my phone and burying it in a folder, like at the back on its own page so that I don't see it there. So I don't have that automatic response, but I was noticing for my other social media platforms when I would try to cross post something, cause I'm still trying to maintain my Facebook accounts and I have business accounts that I added. And so I'm still trying to do that. I would find that I couldn't cross post and then I would have to like go in and do an extra step of going onto the computer and you can only log on to Instagram from your mobile, blah. So it became this thing where I was like, okay, so I'm going to put it back on my phone, but I'm going to hide it. And actually that's been extremely effective for me because I find that like days will go by where I won't be on Facebook. Right. Yeah. I think two things is I think that is the big difference between specifically Twitter and Facebook uh, is the the personal nature of Facebook, because I do think in general, Twitter is a, more angry reactive unmindful space but on facebook if i see someone uh being unmindful and and angry and upset i want to engage right to kind of bring them into a mindful space because i know them we're on twitter i almost never feel an urge to engage Mm -hmm. so i i think that's the the big difference for me that one i don't want to say negative thing about it but the, the thing i did have to adjust wanting to be a, a well-informed individual is i didn't realize how much information i was consuming through facebook that when i didn't have it i wasn't actually a hundred percent it i don't it just took me a little bit to think about where am I going to find my news and actually go find it as opposed to it kind of just being there at my fingertips. And, and I, I trust most of the things uh, that I see on my newsfeed just because one, I have a good kind of sensor for what's fake and what's not based on what's being sort, what sources there are and things like that. But also a lot of the people I follow are activists and are in it. So they're posting things that, that their organizations and they have kind of sussed out. It's not just anything. I mean, every once in a while, there's something that I'm like, that's blatantly fake, even though the person sharing it clearly thinks it's not, but Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that was a, I guess a, a challenge for me. And I just, I ended up just using, uh, google now and kind of setting up what kind of news is important to me and then i just check that and it's just a running of of the news and it kind of does the same thing and the nice thing about that though i i will say too is that it it's nice to read the news without having anyone's opinions added to it first which i think is a lot of the problem with with facebook is people read the comments before they even read the article so they already have an idea of how they're going to feel about it and i've seen that a lot recently yeah people were headline in the comments and you're good right and i've seen also a lot of people lately post an article uh that they clearly found without reading any of the comments or anything and they'll post their opinion and then after seeing other people's opinions and doing more things they'll change how what they thought which i think is a back and forth thing that's i i think that's uh, a good i think that's good in that you're open to new information and you're letting it affect you. But at the same time, sometimes that new information is very unmindful and very anger based and it isn't necessarily the, the best, uh, I guess, information to affect how you're feeling and, and how you're taking in that, that information. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I mean, I think like that willingness to correct something that you posted like that. I appreciate that. I think that's a positive thing. I think we all need to be willing to like correct something that we've said or correct something that we've posted. Um, honestly, I think that was, that's been one of my biggest fears of even doing something like this, of talking publicly about what I think about stuff is because what I think about stuff changes so much as I grow and, and learn. And so I think that, you know, that's an important thing. And so I don't mind that, but I think a lot of times people will do that and have the hindsight and they'll correct it out of shame for feeling wrong or not seeing a point that somebody made, but they don't do that mindful piece of then trying to do the growth work of saying, okay, so how can I not do this next time? Maybe read the full article, maybe check some more sources, you know, and kind of do that next piece of how not to do that again, you know? And so people will kind of just, because I think a lot of times it's more, again, that shame of like, oh, somebody commented and said something that I didn't know. And now I've looked and I'm like, oh crap, let me just like change it and hope that nobody saw, you know? And, and so I think that's the hard part is that there, there can really be some, some way to be mindful about that and to really kind of learn it correct and learn how to be more, um, just more, more careful about what you're sharing, about what you're posting. Um, than people are, you know, I think that, that, that's, that's that work piece that's harder, but I think for you without having Facebook and having to seek out your news, that's, that like, is not automatic mindfulness, but it's going to make you intentionally, like, you're going to be more mindful just in that process because you have to look and say, okay, well, where do I want to go to look for this? What, what am I interested in? And, and, and seek things out versus just being fed, whatever your, family friend because I mean I like my Facebook is full of so many people that I don't even really know that well you know what I mean like thinking about just kind of the connection sometimes and how like loose they can be but how much they're influencing us by how much they're able to like fuel us if we allow it so right and I think too it's it's interesting uh communication wise uh, the differences between communication over social media platforms and, and actual communication, because uh, actually talking to someone, having the verbal cues, seeing them, uh, it's such a different experience than getting everything through typed words. And I think what ends up happening is that uh, on social media, things people try to put things in such black and white spaces so we were talking about people editing themselves after opinions what i see is in a lot of the editing is that it's a it's it ends up being a fight of who was right or wrong or the person admitting they were wrong and so many times i see it and i was like well you just interpreted it differently like the the tone and everything so it's not necessary that you you one of you were wrong one of you're right you just read it differently and it, both the way you're seeing it is valid and it's more mindful. And I think it's more productive if we're able to get to a point where we can acknowledge that and then discuss, well, why did I see it differently than you? And and what's the nuances here as opposed to it being uh, just this way or, or that way, which is really what uh, I had three instances in a row where I posted something and then people got very defensive and then I was trying to have that conversation of like well the way you see it is very valid but let's like kind of suss out the mindfulness of like why are some people seeing it this way and some people seeing it that way and and what's the complexities of it instead of just making it one way or another and uh people just didn't want to go there and that's when I realized this isn't the best this isn't where I need to be spending my time. It's not being uh, effective. Right, right. It's not an effective use of your energy. Yeah, yeah. Well, is this, should we should we transition? Is this a good spot? Because I'm excited I think so. and I'm eager to talk about the art of the mindful apology. Because I think that so in the last month, um, you know, with all of the sexual harassment and and um, sexual assault that is coming out and just all of these, just more awareness, more talk about it, which I think is a, is, is, is important and needs to happen. Um, one thing that's interesting to me is that 
there's 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 immediately I'm noticing and there's a lot of um, publicity around apologies and the apologies that are being issued. And honestly, and I mean, I, I will I will say that I have not read every single one because I do think that this is also a, a, a situation where it's important to be mindful of how much you're consuming because um, these are very, very difficult topics, very triggering topics. Um, and so I have, in the interest of my own self-care, I haven't read everything um, that's happened, but I've read enough of a lot of the apologies to be really frustrated by it and to just kind of feel like we need to really talk about how, A, what's the purpose of an apology? And if, it, you know, and if that's the, and if the purpose of an apology is what I think it is, then how do we do it in a way that actually serves who it's for? Because um, I think a lot of these apologies that we're seeing are very self-serving. And what that creates is re-victimizing people who have already been victimized and have already um, experienced, you know, have already been victimized. And now they're they're being um, re-victimized again or re-traumatized again by the apology. So, like, I'll give an example. Um, so one of the things is that, like, a lot of the apologies someone will start off, they'll say, like, first sentence I'm sorry for whatever. Um, first thing is that a lot of times if somebody starts an apology with if I, which if you, if you started your apology with if I did blank, like start over because you've already missed the mark. You've already made it about you because you've already invalidated that person by doubting what they're saying. If you're apologizing for something, then someone is saying that something happened. And so starting off an apology um, and so I think I haven't seen a lot of those if I apologies. Uh, well, actually a little bit. They've been mixed in. Um, but starting off an apology and then immediately going to, but that wasn't my intention. And so my intention was not. My intention was to make a joke. So the most recent one that that really kind of triggered me to think about this was seeing what Senator Al Franken said in his recent apology um, to the woman who had a photo of him um, where, while she was sleeping, like making a, a motion of groping her breast. And, you know, he said something like, um, my intention was to just make a joke or I just thought it would be funny. Um, but what happens is that that takes the mindfulness out of the apology. Like that immediately made it about him of saying, this wasn't my intention because from my perspective, if you victimize somebody, if you've hurt someone else, if you violated another soul person, then your intention doesn't matter when you're making that apology. And I'm not saying your intention doesn't matter ever, because I do think like your intention matters when you're working on it, when you're with your therapist, when you're going to do the treatment that people also like to include and talk about what they're going to do in these apologies and how they're going to change and, and make promises about all the stuff they're going to do to kind of make everything better, um, which I think is also problematic. It's, it's, it's already turning it about you and it's taking something away from that person because your intention, again, doesn't matter if you victimize someone else. If someone is hurt, then that needs to be what that apology is about. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So for me, like, that's one thing that I think is super important is that just recognizing, like, if you're intending to apologize for something, then leave it at that. Like, make your apology, but to start to talk about, well... I grew up in a different era, right? I grew up in the fifties and that was just how it was. And, and all of these other things that that's, that's, that's not an apology. And now you've, you've, you've turned it into something else because you're basically asking that victim to forgive you, like to accept what you did and to not, to not be able to feel what they felt. And, um, and again, I think that your intentions do matter in healing spaces. And I think that that's important. And so if you really, want to improve and change and work on this stuff that's not overnight issues. You know, I'm, I work with people for years for things that are not as, as, um, as deep as these issues can be. And so this idea that you can like go to somewhere for a week and get one week of intensive therapy and you're going to come out and like, let me back into the fold and accept me back in and, and, and I'm okay. Apology accepted let's all move on is again, that's also really in, in it's, it's really ineffective. It's invalidating and it's totally about you and your own ego of just wanting to be forgiven before you've actually really done any of the work to change, you know, a more mindful apology would be, I'm really sorry that I did blank. 
and leaving it at that, you know, and not even promising I'm going to, you know, again, do all of these, these things because you don't know. This stuff is not an easy fix. And so this idea that, like, I can go somewhere for a week and I'm not going to victimize somebody else is just not, it's not mindful, you know. And so that that's kind of what really came out for me as I um, have been thinking about this and just thinking about my own thoughts around it and just kind of where we can bring some mindfulness to it. I thought, well, these apologies really need a lot of work because they're really not that. Yeah. I think it's, I think the, the challenge in uh, I guess these type of apologies are that they're not as someone in the entertainment industry, these aren't necessarily apologies. They're public statements, right? 100%. So the yeah. the thing we have to talk about is, well, what's the role of the, the public statement? Because I think the, mm-hmm. the role that the, a lot of the public sees is a different role than what your PR rep is going to teach you, they mean. So mm-hmm. when I've worked with PR people, public statements – including apologies, we are taught that they are uh, not apologies. We are not, they are not supposed to be personal exchanges. They are supposed to be uh, addressing the the public, Mm -hmm. which then from the public. No. uh, What was that? But apologizing to the public. No, you can. Yes, you can apologize to the public, but it's more of a, a, right. A a mass, it would be a mass apology. So like in, in these specific instances of, of sexual harassment, they're not necessarily apologies to the individual women who you are talking about in it is, is how I'm not saying that, that that's right, wrong, whatever. I'm just saying that's how the, the PR will try, will tell people that need to make these statements what they are. Um, so then I think there's then the disconnect between, uh, the actual public and how they see them. Because I think some people do see them as, well, they're just addressed. They're making a general statement. And I think some other people expect it to be that this is their apology. Mm-hmm. So I think there's, there's, it, it's hard, I think for them to, uh, and it's not making excuses for anyone and in, in any of it, but I think it's hard being in it to be mindful because the the messages that you're getting are you're you're being told different things, totally. so then you're yeah. trying to navigate. And I and I see it when I read them. I I see things that they're doing, and I'm like, I I know exactly what you're doing and what you were told and why you're adding these statements. Like the yeah. the Louis C.K. one is is a great example uh, of of that was not meant. He did not write that as an apology to those women he wrote that as a as a public statement of what he feels are the next steps to stopping or like fixing the problem of what he was told and what he feels the problem is so that's so why he was talking like what is the intention behind it so if it's not to apologize to the people that were victimized like what is it is it just what's the intention behind like the public statement would you say uh, I mean, to from from a corporate perspective, from a yeah. PR perspective, it's to stop the bleeding, right? So, I mean, it's it's not mindful, it's not compassionate, it's not empathy. It's to stop uh, the 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 negative press and to try to rebound your career and then leave with as much dignity as you can. Um. And I think that's the that's the main problem and in that itself it's not mindful. So that's why I think you get a lot of people denying it and they'll deny, deny, deny till they can't anymore because they're not actually processing it from a place of empathy or, or compassion or wanting to do the right thing, even if they genuinely do. They're processing processing it from, well, where am I right now? How much damage has been done? What's the answer that's gonna hopefully stop the damage? So they'll just say, I I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I didn't do it until they're totally caught and they can't saying I didn't do it's going to cause more damage. Then then they'll reverse. Yes. They'll reverse what they say and and try to do a different tactic. So it's, it's hard. And I think that is a lot of this stuff is what triggered me wanting to have some time away from Facebook because Mm -hmm. it's just so frustrating to see so many activists and so many people incapable of, 
being mindful around the topic. And I totally get it because it's just an intense and there is so much anger and, and everything about it with it. I think right. anger also personal experience because it's so pervasive. It's so right. pervasive. And so I think that's the other part is that it's personal for so many people. And it's that thing we talk about where when something is, when someone or something is so unmindful, it takes that much more energy to stay mindful. And because so much about the, the public statements and, and everything is so clinical and corporatized and it's not about being mindful, it, it's hard to then engage in a mindful way. So I understand why people aren't being mindful about it. Um, mm-hmm. But it's just, it's also then how do you, how do you fix it? Because I see it from, I see it from both sides because I'm in the industry, the whole idea that this person is a brand. So everyone involved with that brand is, is trying to stop the bleeding. And then you have these people over here that are actually a lot of times trying to do the right thing that lose out because the, the corporate side often wins. But then that's why I think that the Louis CK thing was interesting because it seemed like he was trying to find a a balance, which I think a lot of people thought he found and a lot of people thought he didn't at all. But Mm -hmm. that's why I thought it was a very interesting statement because it was different because it seemed like he was trying to incorporate both elements as opposed to most people who pick one or the other. Right. And it felt his, I guess what, what was difficult for me about is, is that it felt very labored. It felt very like, like Mm -hmm. he was intentionally pulling all this extra stuff into like doing these gymnastics to try to touch on these things, which now that I'm talking to you and hearing that industry insider tip, it makes sense to me because I see what he was trying to do. But that's why I was like, really felt like, well, whereas a lot of people read it and felt like it was pretty mindful and and different. I was kind of like, there was just so much that like the apology was lost in that there was, it felt like a lot of noise to me, you know, and And, and a lot of noise again, intended to salvage his position and kind of, Mm -hmm. and, and to save where he's at. And I think the hard thing is that like, we're so quick to do that when like a lot of times natural consequences to things will, I think allow that period to, of self-reflection to happen. I think that like we, because we're so conditioned to kind of rally around and, and, and again, for good reason, because there are people that, that are fully supported by these people's brands and these people's industries. So it makes sense to me why that happens. But I think that that scramble to make it all better and is what is what takes away from the opportunity to actually reflect and 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 learn and kind of actually do anything mindful with it and i think what and for me what i see that continues to happen is that those that have been victimized by this person continue to go unseen or unheard or invalidated right and i think too i think that using the the louis ck uh apology as an, an example is uh the reason I think it was obvious that he was trying to salvage as much of his career as he could is because of how labored and how many different kind of statements he tried to make. So he he tried to issue an apology while bringing light to what he thought the problem was while defending himself to a point. He was trying to do it all as opposed to if, and I think this is, this is, uh, what I was talking about too, about muddying the water and how we can make these apologies more mindful is do what you're trying to do. If, if, if the, if the issue, if what you're trying to do is apologize, then apologize. And when the apology is over, leave it at that. You can have another moment. I mean, if he would have just apologized, Uh because a lot of the things he said, I thought were, were important to the issue, whether he's the right person to deliver it, but that wasn't the time to talk about it. Talk about it later. Yes. After the yes. the apology has been issued and it's a real apology and people are wanting to listen to then what you have to say or don't, you know? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Take all the rest of it out of the apology. Have the apology stand alone and truly be an apology. Because again, like apologies are uncomfortable. 
like apologies are are a humbling, vulnerable moment, and they're supposed to be uncomfortable because we did something to hurt someone else. We violated somebody. And so just allowing yourself to like sit in that and like apologize and leave it at that and then make those other points later, reflect on it, come out with an op-ed article or whatever you want to do to kind of reflect further on it, I think is totally appropriate and is a much more mindful way. But but again, that's not what I'm seeing. It's that immediate like, okay, one sentence apology, you know, five paragraphs about what, you know, my thoughts on it and the causes and, 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 and what we can do and how I'm going to move forward and all of these different things. So, yeah, I think that that's really the, that's kind of the point that I'm making is that if you're apologizing, leave it as an apology and then do the other work where it needs to be, you know, and don't, don't ask your accuser or your, your person that you violated to understand your intentions. You know what I mean? I think that that's not appropriate. They don't need to understand your intentions. I think other people, you need to understand your intentions and, and work on your own stuff. But but bringing that to the person that whose life you may have destroyed by your behavior is, again, you, you've lost <laughs> you've lost the effectiveness of the apology at that point. Well, and I think it's it goes back to what you were saying at the beginning as what what is an apology. You are apologizing to someone else. It's about them. It's not about you, which is what you were saying. And I think the more you can see it through that lens and, and focus it through that lens, the more uh, effective the apology will be. Because I feel like, especially on on the, this topic, that's a lot of what we're seeing is, well, what's an effective apology? And this wasn't effective because of this. And that wasn't effective because of that. And I think it's because it's not being filtered through the intention of, and we're talking about intention, the intention to apologize. So yes. So you have to set an intention for what you're trying to do. And then don't try to talk about other intentions of why that intention (laughs) doesn't matter. (laughs) Yeah. And I think the hard thing is that we're also seeing the effects of this society that we live in that has has given powerful men this opportunity where they don't really have to they're not expected to do that work there there's kind of a a, an ability to gloss over that and kind of just not really have an expectation to do that kind of deeper like and like we we live in a society where these powerful you know men are conditioned to make everything about them Mm-hmm. And so to like tell somebody, well, okay, this is apology. You've got to make this about the other person. It's like, well, but my career is going to fall apart. Like it's, it's, I get why it's hard because the, we've been conditioned into this society where it's like, no, you, what you are the main, like what you're most important, you know? And so, so I, I, I get that struggle, but I think, you know, I don't know. I went off on the side, yeah. like that whole other layer, but you know. This issue is just so hard because it's so, it's so complex and it's, it's just, it's hard to wrap your, your brain around it because it's exactly what you're saying where it's such a conditioned thing. It's, it's part, it's not a, it's not a men problem. It's not a woman problem. It's, it's, it's a societal conditioning problem that both men and women help create every day. So. Yeah. So it's like, how do you then change it? Because this, it it doesn't seem mindful. The solution is any man who ever was inappropriate with a woman just get fired and kind of banished because then there's no, you know, there's no incentive to, to change it from their perspective. Then you're just going to get more denying, more denying, more denying. But then it's also, you have to hold people accountable for their actions. So there's such a, there's, I, it's just it's it's hard to analyze it from what'll be truly effective in creating meaningful change in that area as opposed to things that will either just take us back to the status quo or just make us feel better right now but not really change anything yeah yeah no i i I think that makes a lot of sense, and one thing that I do think has been a positive kind of mindful effect of this effect of all of this happening effect of so much talk about it now is that people are becoming more aware that there is a such thing as rape culture that we do 
live in a society that is is conditioned in this way. Um, I I listen sometimes to the Breakfast Club. I'll watch their videos on YouTube, and and Charlemagne the God made himself Donkey of the Day sometime last week because he said, you know, I finally realized that I've I've been living in and and grew up in and have been conditioned in this culture, and this was this is it was like mind blowing for him to kind of come to that realization and to actually talk about it. And so for me, for this, um, you know, huge voice in my community to be able to talk about that and have a conversation and then have callers come in and say, Oh no, you know, that's not, that's not true. And actually have mindful discussions about it and talk about it is really, really a positive thing because, you know, that term, a lot of people don't even haven't even recognized that that, that there was a reality that this is something that we've been dealing with. And so, there are, you know, mindful discussions and kind of positive things happening, I think, as more, as there's more awareness. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree with that. Uh, It it should be interesting to see kind of, I guess, where it, uh, where it goes in the kind of the, the long term, because it's been kind of a short while where everything just kind of blew up. And, um, I can kind of seeing it going two directions because I think if it's, if women keep being more and more empowered to come out, you're just going to have so many, because it is part of our culture. You're just going to have so many allegations and whether that starts to hold more and more weight or kind of starts to numb the situation. uh, It it should be interesting because I can kind of see it going both ways. It seems like it's going not to the numbing place, I mean, I right now. really hope it, it, it doesn't go there, right. but, right. uh, uh, I mean, I, I do see it going there with, with some people, with some people mm-hmm. just, I mean, I think I'm hearing more of that, that narrative of, of, well, this is just standard how people, how men are, or how our society is. And, uh, but I think that's from a, a minority of people. And I think it's, it's hard because I don't feel like. Uh, it's been defined uh, kind of the levels and what what is the adequate, I guess, disciplinary action for for rape versus making an inappropriate sexual comment versus this versus that. Because mm-hmm. if it is, all of that stems from the same place and is is part of that that culture that that's built but in in dealing with it uh we we naturally have to kind of set well what what is the punishment for each level of it and right now it just seems like it's mostly we're at the stage of calling people out we're not really seeing the full some people got fired things like that but we haven't seen what the real consequences long term are for each person depending on kind of where they're at because i think I mean, I think most people agree someone who who is raping a bunch of women of women is is it's it's just it's a different thing than someone who was conditioned in a culture and then did a couple inappropriate things as a kid, but then grew out of it mm-hmm. you knew or whatever it is. And I'm not saying that those are the only two levels. There's like all ranging in it, right. but right. they're just they're 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 different things in staying mindful and how we correct and, and, and help people who are going through that and, and their victims. Uh, it's, it's just a different thing. It ta- it, yeah. Right. Right. And I think that part is so nuanced and diverse depending on what's going on. And I think right. that's kind of up to that specific community and that specific kind of, you know, whatever that their circle is to kind of, decide what's appropriate and and you know what I mean and kind of manage that but I think that like you know it's it's not easy to know what that what that's about but I think the mindful response is just to continue to talk about and bring awareness and kind of just be with it where it's at in that moment because you're right we don't know where it's going to go it could you know it could um get to a point like you said where people are just kind of you know more numb and you know I think that um, we can't really predict it right now because it's still very early. Um, but if we continue to provide a space and provide permission, 
for people to talk about it and to bring awareness to their own experiences, no matter what's going on. I think that we'll, we'll move in some direction, like something will right. continue to happen as we continue to keep our eyes open and continue to be aware. It's that, you know, locking it away. It's these, you know, um, behind the scenes lawsuits where $15 million are paid out, you know, for, for, for harassment claims and things and all of the stuff that's happening in secret and, 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 um, you know, under the surface that I think is what creates this toxic place where we've been. And so I think if we just can kind of continue to like create spaces where people are not doing that and people are like afraid to do that and afraid to have these, you know, NDAs and things where people can't even speak on what happened to them. I think that that will, will help, you know, empowering people to, to, to be honest rather than teaching people to remain silent. Right. And specifically in the entertainment industry, I think Anyone who's in it uh, sees the, the a massive shift coming. It's already happening uh, generationally uh, because a lot of the the abuse and the the hyper masculinity and, and that stuff that kind of dominated uh, is a very specific generation. Mm-hmm. Um, and what what we see now, and I think a lot of this has to do with there being much more access to creating content and much more content and different platforms and artists can kind of pick and choose much more than they could ever in the past that, uh, the diversity is, is coming, whether the, the corporate side of it wants it or not. Uh, for example, I just produced, uh, a short film and it it was just so incredibly a big part of it was that we wanted it to be, gender balanced um, because I was producing it with my writing partner who's a, who's a woman and mm-hmm. it was just something we uh, we both in, enjoy and it's not even necessarily a, a political thing I per, I truly believe that in all my experiences when your crew and everything is is gender balanced it's just more creative yeah. you just have more perspectives or just it's just oh. it's just a better experience and Every time I self every time I produce anything, um, it gets easier and easier because it's just becoming the the norm. Mm-hmm. Um, like we had a, a male director, but he brought his crew, and his crew crew was just naturally diverse, so we didn't have to uh, really w- worry about it. It wasn't where I even think when I first moved out to LA four years ago, it was something that was a challenge. You had to do a lot of work to be able to do that, and and it's just, it's, it's shifting and yes. you, you can feel it. Yeah. Yeah. You can definitely feel that shift. And I think that like, like you said, with that shift, it's, it's creating a space for like that positive change to happen. And, and, and cause I think when, when change happens, there's always resistance. And so I think kind of like recognizing that like, there's going to be that resistance to that change, but like the more people are able to like create that space and open it up, then that resistance, it it really doesn't matter. The change is going to happen no matter what. Um, And, you know, and, and in that, I think like Hollywood, you know, and the inner, the entertainment industry, actually, I think that that they have a lot of space to create and model that change and really show what that looks like because it is the entertainment industry and we're constantly consuming it. And so it's like that being, being that the entertainment industry is a lot of where it's coming out and we're hearing about things, even though it happens everywhere, this is, we're hearing more about it because of entertainers and because they're famous and have these platforms. And I think that's actually can be a helpful thing if the entertainment industry as a whole takes responsibility and recognizes that, that they are, the model for how to kind of change this and how to move this forward because all of our eyes are on that industry, you know? Right. And I mean, I, I think the the big thing I've kind of mentioned it already in the entertainment industry is at no other time have the creatives had so much power and choice. Um, Cause before yeah. it was basically, there were only a couple networks that the uh-huh. executives kind of held all the power of who was, being seen who wasn't what was being made and now there's just so many platforms that a lot of people can pick and choose and and i see it all the time where there's a high profile female going through the ranks and is at a network that 
is not she doesn't feel safe at and she leaves to go to Netflix or Hulu and in in the industry I think there's still kind of this idea that the network is the highest level but as as far as reach and, and influence in the entertainment industry Netflix Hulu is just as powerful right now so you just see the choice now that that creatives have I think will yeah. help the the corporate side because the corporate side is always just going to care about money and, and okay. profits and what is there. But if they want someone who is going to say, well, I don't care about making the most money. I'd rather be some player that's safe. That's going to treat me as an equal. They, yeah. Then their two thing is, well, we lose the money or we change our culture to so these people come over. And I think right. that is what we're going to start seeing. Yes. And then what we're already seeing. Right. And I think, you know, you don't even have to go to the companies at all at this point. People can create their own content. You know, now we live in a time where people create their own content. And so I look at like one of my my biggest idols, um, Issa Rae, who created her own content and and did her own work for years and now has a, you know, HBO show with Insecure Mm -hmm. and just kind of recognizing that like, now we're in a place where you can do something that you believe in in a way that you believe in and they'll end up coming to you yeah, and you can yeah. just kind of do your work and, and do it in a positive way. And then those, you know, those network gatekeepers that were before closing the door to people who look like Issa and express things the way she does are now like, you know, <laughs> like stumbling over themselves to, to work with you, you know? So that's, that's a really cool thing too. And I think that ends up having to hold, everybody else to a higher standard because it's the same thing that's happening in the music industry. You know, it's like people can do and, and produce and share their own stuff. And so the, the industry gatekeepers are having to rethink how they've done things, right. you know? And I think is- it's hard to, if, if we move, like we were talking about moving to a numb place or moving to a place that it's actually t- t- having effective change. And I think the thing that there is no going back from that I see is uh, that, women more and more are feeling empowered to speak up, um, which I think was the the second half of the problem. Half the problem is the, the hyper-masculinized culture that abuses women, but the other half is the culture that suppresses women from feeling like they can speak up. And for me, right, I always knew that this was an issue, right? But because... I grew up with with a single mom and just and a sister, and I was around very powerful women all the time. I've I've just, I just naturally uh, have a, a, a high respect for women, and always just I just naturally see equals. I don't see like a, a gender divide as much as I know a lot of other guys who were brought up in, in different environments do. And the thing was, I knew it was always an issue, but I didn't, I guess. Uh, understand how much help and assistance was needed uh, to fix it. But now since people are being uh, women in general are being more vocal, it's, it's almost empowering people who were allies, but didn't understand that the gravity of the situation for whatever reason to now participate in, in a meaningful way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that's what, that's everything you said, you, you touched on so much that resonates with me, but I think that point of, of that you can't know how to fix it if you don't ask the people who are affected by it and who are experiencing it. But I think we've just constantly, we've always defaulted, defaulted to the male voice and to, um, to that and to suppressing women's voices. And, and so recognizing that now we're actually starting to figure out how to deal with these things because we're actually asking people who are experiencing it, you know, same thing as, is is with race. And I won't go on a long, you know, tangent with that, but it's the same thing. It's like, we can't figure out how to help and deal with the issues of white supremacy. And, and if we're not talking to people of color about their experiences and talking right. to people who are actually dealing with it. And so I think you're right that this, this, like, I'm calling it a goddess rising that we're kind of having in this last year or so, especially where women are really, really finding our voices. I know that that's something that's really been huge for me is just recognizing like I have permission to speak on things. My opinion does matter and it's important. And not only does it matter, but it's vital, you know, that, that like it's, it's an important part of my role 
and my position here. And I think that's something that like, the more we see that happening, the more we're able to kind of just naturally find the answers. Right. Yeah. And the last thing I guess I want to say is just, uh, I think uh, it's no accident that all this stuff is happening now. Um, And I see it all connected. You see this issue, you see with race relations, you see it with um, Donald Trump being president is that uh, the, the backlash to it, um, which I know a a lot of people that I've seen on, on social media are, are, that's the thing they're struggling with is just seeing so much kind of a negative response and, and hate, uh, towards it. And I mean, you always have two different sides, but I, I just like to remind people that what we're seeing now is really a, a struggle of a group that held power for hundreds of hundreds of years, uh, feeling like, and, and the, the, that's the key part of it, feeling like they're losing power. Um, and they're trying to hold on to that power. So what I'm seeing a lot now is men freak out because women are speaking up. And then when the man tells them, Kaisa kind of confronts them and expects them to then go back and retreat and be silent. The women aren't doing that anymore. Right. So now they don't know how to react. They, they feel like they've lost power. So that's the reaction you're, you're seeing. And I feel like that's always the reaction that's going to happen. Exactly. So it's really about, about buckling down and kind of driving through that. Um, and then that's kind of, once you drive through it for a while, I think is when the change starts to happen, but you have to make sure that that doesn't intimidate you and kind of push you back. Right. Right. And actually it totally cycles back to where we started with, with Facebook, which is that filtering out those comments, filtering that out, that that's kind of, I think for me, how I, how I move forward and how I like keep going and keep trying to do that next brave thing and and speak on topics that are difficult is like recognizing, I can't read all these comment sections. I can't look at all this negative you know, feedback because that's expected. And like, I know that that's there. Um, there's a quote and I, I don't have it um, committed to memory, but there's a quote about like, if you're, if you're talking about something, if, if, if nobody is reacting, then you're probably not saying anything. Um, I don't know the exact quote, but basically like there's going to be, people are going to be triggered by what you say if you're, if you're speaking about things that are important. And so just kind of, for me, filtering out that noise, not paying a lot of attention to it and kind of just being mindful of what's important and kind of that next step forward. Mm-hmm. And right. And you're talking about, uh, it, it kind of goes back to us talking about the, the apology and the intention. And uh, I mean, I'm trying to, to, it's interesting because if you're trying to explain or defend your intention to someone else, that is almost, it's very rarely a mindful thing to do. But trying to understand the intentions of others and how they're um, behaving with others or with you is very mindful. And that's what I try to my best to do when I am engaging with people is mm-hmm. if if I'm not agreeing and, and they're being very aggressive, I try to see, well, what's the intention? And that's where I start to see oh, they're feeling like they're losing power and they're lashing out to try to hold on to that power. And once I understand that, I'm much. it's much easier to engage mindfully or mindfully disengage, whichever yeah. is, is, is needed. But it's okay. when I don't understand, when I go off on that they're angry and, and you shouldn't be angry and why are you against me? That's when it's hard for me to be mindful as opposed to if I try to understand what their intention is first, then I can suss out uh, how, how to respond. And it, it makes it less uh, emotionally draining because I don't then see it as an attack on me. I see it as this person is feeling this way and has these insecurities and these issues. And that's why they're lashing out. It has nothing to do with me. They're not, it's, it, it's not something I'm doing. It's something that they're doing to themselves. So it kind of, it just allows you to cope better. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I actually have a quote that I really want to end with. Cause as we were talking about um, the apologies and just kind of, you know, the change and how to kind of create change in these spaces, this, this uh, quote came up and I remembered it. So I was able to pull it up. 
Um, so this is from Tamika D. Mallory, who is one of the Women's March organizers. She's an um, activist as well, and so, or activist. And so um, her quote is, if you want to know how to get there, ask a woman. We know how to drive. We know how to draw the map and drive the car. If you really want to know how to get there, follow a woman of color. Love it. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually had a question for homework. I really want to know um, in our mindfulness in action page, what people's, what people's relationship is with Facebook right now. I just want people to kind of share with us. What is their relationship with Facebook, social media right now? Kind of where are they, where are they at with it? How are they using it? Do they feel like it's contributing? Do they feel like they're able to use it mindfully? If not, you know, where are they at with it? Just kind of awesome. curious. Yeah. yeah, I love that. And you can uh, let us know on Twitter or on our Facebook page or our Facebook Facebook group where we've been hanging out a little bit more um, at Mindfulness in Action Civil Discourse. Yes. Thank you, guys. Have a great week. Next time.